episode 14, Captain. <laughs> Would you like some Tranya? I find their illogic and foolish emotions a constant irritant. Then transfer out, freak! I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubblegum. Sheep flying, no good, rotten, four-flushing, low-life, snake-licking, dirt-eating, inbred, overstuffed, ignorant, blood-sucking, dog-kissing, brainless, dickless, hopeless, heartless, fat-ass, bug-eyed, stiff-legged, spotty-lipped, and now, together by live simulation via the internet, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. Blah, blah, blah. Hi, and welcome to Two True Freaks. I'm Chris Honeywell. I'm the co-freak of Two True Freaks. And uh, I know he's going to hate me for telling you this. <laughs> oh, but uh, I would like to introduce my co-freak, who was, he was the first one kicked off the island on Survivor <laughs> Season 2, Mr. Scott Gardner. Thank you. Thank you for drudging that up. I, I appreciate Nobody, re- Nobody remembers that. You remember you that? I, rem- that I remember that. I certainly do. Yes, for for Survivor fans out there, I was on season two. I was the first one out um, for sneaking Tabasco sauce packets under the show, but uh, I, I I can't help it. You know, I mean, I I put Tabasco sauce on everything, so you know, I mean, you know, who wants to eat like? Why don't you tell them you put Tabasco sauce? I mean, I've watched it. 8 million times. It's one of my favorites. Someday I'm just going to loop it and put it up on YouTube. Of just you, can YouTube you pouring it. the hot sauce on the grubs and just like chowing them down. Well, That's I mean, one who of my wants favorites. to eat like, like, you know, like unborn baby ducks and, and grubs and all the gross shit they have on that show anyway? But I mean, at least if you could like put Tabasco sauce or something yeah. on it, you know, it makes it a little more palatable, but. No, they didn't. They didn't take very kindly to that. Well, frankly, I'm surprised I even made it onto the show to begin with. You know, because we had that. You know, That's there's what the initial. Me up the most. There's the initial thing, you know, where they bring you all together, you know, and you're, you you go through the. It's like almost like a little class that you go yeah. through. That you know, they give you the 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 ins and outs and things you can say and things you can't say and what you can do and what you can't do. And you know, this was only the second season. And I, you know, I didn't really know that much about the show. I only watched like the last couple episodes of the first season. So my my big thing I've always wondered, you know, the show is called Survivor. Can you just can you arrange or I mean, can you off or arrange to be off the other people on the show? I mean, why not, right? Well, if, if the mean, name of the show is Survivor, then the implication is that there are people who are not going to survive. Exactly. It's not survivors. I mean, it's Survivor. 
Exactly. So, you know, I wanted to know if you could, you know, I mean, you know, I, I went through, you know, survival training and, you know, when I was in, in the Air Force sure. and I was like, you know, why couldn't you go like all Rambo style and like set up like booby traps and shit out sure. in the woods for the other people and, you know, just arrange for, I mean, I didn't want to really hurt anybody, but, you know, I mean, you know, like, uh, like a couple of, uh, you know, makeshift, you know, spikes through the through the knees or something like, you know, like in First Blood, you know, that that would take the other contestants out of the out of the running of the game, I thought. But no, they didn't they didn't take too kindly to that shit. And they Jeff Pro got really that, huh? pissed. What's, but what's, they still let me on the show. What's funny is, despite the law of averages, you're the third person I've known who's been on a reality show. I knew a girl That's, who was on an Eliminate show. And this one is probably people remember her because this was in the last few years. And the guy totally was like, this girl's too much of a freak for me. He was, a, She's an artist type and he was a jock type. At, but he was a little weird and they thought, we'll put him with the weird girl. They'll get along. And she was talking in her mermaid language because she thinks she's a mermaid and stuff like that. So it was, you know, she came off as a real kook in the show, but I think she was playing it. For all it was worth, you know, I'm, I'm sure she wasn't taking it really too seriously. Obviously not. And the other person was somebody I worked with, and I worked with her boyfriend also. And she turned up on, um, um, I think it was Judge Hatchet. No, it wasn't Judge Hatchet. <laughs> um, I can't remember. He's he's uh probably in his fifties, black guy. Maybe like early fifties, late forties. Anyway, she showed up on his show being sued for leaving a messy apartment, moving out of her gothy friend's apartment and leaving cat shit all over the place. <laughs> it was pretty, and the judge basically called her a hoe and, and, and dirty. Men don't like women who are dirty, and she always sort of had a reputation for being her hygiene not being up to normal societal levels. So what watching a, what the show was really weird. My friend Jeanette videotaped it because she always has a videotape in her VCR because she know she and she always watches those those judge shows because she said to herself, I know someday I'm going to know somebody on this. And she did. And she got it. <laughs> well, I would much rather be, you know, Survivor Tabasco guy than, you know, like unclean cat shit guy. So... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, you definitely, you definitely were in an up, more of the upper tier of the uh, reality shows, as far as that goes. <laughs> you know, I'm just glad I didn't see in whatever whatever that one was where you know it's a gross out contest after gross Fear Factor. Um, ah, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't know if I could have watched that. That would I can I can't watch that anyway. I would have watched it if you were in it. I would have been laughing my ass off. But Jesus Christ. Well. Getting into Star Trek, we got something uh, we got something meaty to discuss right oh, off yeah. the get. Did we say this is our Star Trek episode? Yeah, Star Trek Monthly Mondays episode two. So yeah, I'm I'm excited about this one. Uh, later on in the show, we'll be reviewing the classic Star Trek episode, Return to Tomorrow. But first, we got a couple other things we wanted to talk about. The first one right out of the gate would be uh, the brand spanking new trailer to the uh the next star trek movie the uh i guess uh, are they just calling it star trek i mean that's all i've seen in the ads it's that's just simply it going like. to be called star trek right haven't people been plugging a number onto it too but that might not be the official maybe there's a title to it and they haven't released it yet you know yeah a la star wars you know there's a 
subtitle to it, but they can now, get away with you... calling it Star Trek. You know. Now, have you seen the the trailer? Yes, I have. I saw okay. it first when somebody cell phoned it, you know, at the beginning of uh, of another movie and put it Quantum of Solace. Quantum of Solace, and then um, then they put up the the nice, you know, the nice quality official one, and I've watched that like four or five, six times. All right. See, I'm really today. surprised. <laughs> I, I'm surprised that that one uh, turned up, you know, so quick because. Uh, I went idea. to see uh, Quantum of Solace. The let me see, it came out last Friday as as we record this. We, I I took uh, Scotty the very next day because uh, he really wanted to see Quantum of Solace. We both enjoyed uh, Casino Royale so much, so we went to see that. And they had it before the movie, so you know I felt like oh I'm in the elite. You know I got to see the trailer nobody's seen, and then like that Monday night, you know, the new Terminator was on and the same trailer was on during the Terminator, which I just have to say, people, watch Terminator. It's fucking great. It's in danger of being canceled and you need to be watching it. If you liked the first and second Terminator movies, you got to watch it. It's excellent. The continuity's fantastic. The acting's really good. And it's just that I don't think they've had a bad episode yet. The only nitpick I've had with the whole show is... They ended on a cliffhanger with the first season, and the way they picked the cliff cliffhanger up in the first episode of the second season, I thought was a little bit weak. But other than that, that show is fantastic. Please support it and watch it, because I really don't want it to be canceled like every other show I ever get attached to. Uh-huh. But uh, but yeah, I know that trailer's been on Terminator, and then the other night my wife said it was on Fringe, which I don't watch because it sucks. But uh, but yeah, and then it showed up on the uh, on the internet. It's on. I think it's on the official Star Trek movie site now, or something like that. You know, a nice, clean, crisp copy of it. So, anyway, what did what did you think? Well, I'll just say this: I was on the forum last night, and uh, I think Will from the Avengers Assemble podcast was the first one to sort of. I think he put up the thread. You know, the the new trailers out on the site, and I got up there and I was kind of doubtful, saying, "Well, you know, I've seen it," and and this is when I just seen the cell phone. One and I'm like, you know, and my, pardon me, my general thing with this movie is it's got to be, it's got to be all, it's got to get Kirk right. The actor who portrays Kirk has to make me think he's Kirk, and I don't envy that job. And I was like, okay, I'll watch this preview, and I'm watching this guy to see if I'm going to see any Shatnerisms. And the first time I saw it, I didn't really see any Shatner-isms. It was sort of, he was sort of looking like the WB, Buffy the Vampire Slayer version of Kirk, you yes. know? Yes. But at the same time, it's J.J. Abrams doing it, and he's got the, what, when, I haven't seen Lost, I've seen bits and pieces of it, but every time I've watched it, I thought, you know, the person who wrote this, there beats the, whoever has put this together beats the heart of a comic book writer. It's very comic book. It's like a very well-written, good adult comic book. But it's still got that, you know, it appeals to that. It appeals to a lot of people, but it really appeals to people like us. And I was watching it, and I was like, I have to watch this from the beginning. But anyway, he's in, is he the director? Or is he just yes. producing it? Or he's the uh, director? He, he is directing. So that's a good sign. He sort of seems to understand the genre and... I remember watching it and thinking, this is going to be, it looks like it's going to be really action-packed, but then again, 
you can edit any you can edit all the action scenes together real fast and make it look like the the movie's going to be all action and really only have one or two big set pieces well i mean look know. at the look at the trailers for uh for star trek 5 the final frontier right now, i don't hate that movie like every you know the whole rest of the world hates that movie i i i don't hate any star trek movie you know but they made I like it look like it was going to be an action pack exactly I have the um, the first poster for that movie. It's the one I don't know if most people are familiar with it. It's literally it's a theater chair floating in space, and it has a seatbelt on it. And it says, "Why are they putting seatbelts in theaters this summer?" And at the bottom, it says, "Star Trek V: The Final Frontier." And so it made you think this was going to be the Star Trek movie with just, you know, all out action. And then it really wasn't, you know, so, you know, you got to take that with a grain of salt. Right. But, you know, I mean, the the effects looked, um, I I didn't like the cop that pulls over the little, little Kirk, who's just like, what is your name? And he's got his like, I think his spaceship should have looked a little more retro. You know what he reminded me of? THX. He reminded me of exact. Oh my god, you just picked my brain. Yeah, he did. He picked. He reminded me of the robot cops in THX. Picking your nose. Ah! <laughs> 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 oh, I cracked but, uh, myself up. Did Did yeah. you have more? Or do you want my take? Oh no! Hang on, <laughs> hang on. I'll finish up. I'll finish up okay. here. <sighs> okay. You know, and I, I thought that was kind of cheesy. And the first time through it, I was like, well, I don't know. I can't really get a grip on on Kirk in it. And that's the whole thing. If they get Kirk right, I'm on board. Because that's what old Star Trek is all about. It all revolves around Kirk. And Shatner was such a strong ego. And just, he he became Kirk. So this guy's really got a hard, hard road ahead of him to play Kirk. But... The scene, there's a scene of like Spock materializing in that, in in his blue uniform, and it's a young Spock. It totally put me into the visual mind frame of the cartoon show, and it was pure. I, I mean, it really hit my nerdy happy space when I saw that. So that you know, there was some visual really neat things. The guy who plays Scotty looks like he's going to be pretty Scotty-like. But the more I watched it, and I was watching like a few freeze frames, the guy's doing a few Kirk things. He's doing a few things with his eyebrows. He's doing a few arm movements. So maybe, you know, maybe it might work. If it works, I'll be really psyched. And it doesn't even have to be a big action movie to appeal to me. As long as it, as long as it's got Kirk being Kirk, being the outrageous, over-the-top, go-for-it, sort of wiggle around the rules a bit, as long as it fits into that sort of Kirk mythos, I'm on board. If it gets it right, I don't care if they have the other actor actresses, you know, and it's not the original cast. Come on, they're old. You can't, what, what can you do? You know, they're doing it, so here it is. And if right, they get let Kirk me, let right, me ask, I'll let me ask you this thing. Okay. All right. I mean, even if they do all that, even if this guy nails William Shatner's Captain Kirk, even if the, all the actors come off, you know, believable in their roles of of replacing, you know, you know the 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 beloved, you know, 
cast of the original Iconic show. cast. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but it's a reboot. Well, are you are you able to get past that, or or well, is that going to be the deal breaker? I hope if it's a reboot that it still fit. I I don't know. I don't know. What, what, I mean, if if it's a reboot, as if it's going to operate on a totally different timeline, because uh, somebody was asking me, they're like, "Oh, you saw the preview. What does Doctor McCoy look like?" And I'm like, "You know what? I don't think Doctor McCoy would be in it." He wouldn't be in it, and uh, you know. So if it was a if it was a reboot, you know, they would probably do something like have Doctor. You know, it would not fit into established timeline of Star Trek. But I'm hoping what they're trying to do is make a seamless. This is just how it happened in the early days. So these, you know, it's not William Shatner, but you know, it's 20 years or you know, it's many years before. So. You know, and and you got to give it some artistic license, but I'm hoping it fits in the framework. I'm hoping it doesn't play. I'm hoping it doesn't like basically say everything that happened after everything that happened before this Star Trek didn't really happen. This is us starting from new. You know, because then that opens the door to you could reboot the next generation. You know, those guys are getting a little long in the tooth too. <laughs> They're starting to put on some pounds, and you know they're they're get you know you could you could trot them out for their, you know, Star Trek four and five, wear a girdle phase now. So are you going to reboot you know all the stuff after it? I'm I'm hoping it just fits into the continuity, and reboots the actors, and you know I mean the ship and and the ship will get updated a little bit and that's okay with me because really the stuff there's a lot of stuff on the original track that's low tech by today's standards all their computer equipment there no matter how powerful their computer is you know our computers smoke that shit and you know they have big bulky electronics compared to what they would really have you know realistically now the way technology's going so if they fiddle with that stuff that's fine with me if that you know if the if the interior of the new enterprise is a little it looks like they're trying to do a happy medium you know they got the hairstyles <laughs> and they got the uniforms i'm hoping i'm 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 just hoping that jj abrams is shows his true fan stripes and makes it it just has to feel Star Trek, you know. It ha if it feels, if it feels, if it has that, and the only thing really that's given me hope for it, big time, is that one shot of Spock in the transporter, because it just felt like old school Star Trek. It was all modern special effects, but with the hair and the the, the costume and the color scheme of it. And the way it was going, it, it had that vibe. So, and it had the vibe of the cartoon show, which is kind of cool. Because the cartoon show could do a lot of stuff that the TV show, like, have big Godzilla-style aliens and Spock's pet saber-tooth thingy. 
so I don't know. I'm I'm interested. It's got my attention for sure. I, before I had really little to no interest in it at all, and now, eh, you know, it looks. I mean, personally, if they screw it all up, eh, you know, I'll live. <laughs> I'll make it. But you know, if they screw it up real bad, I'll probably find out before I have to go see it, you know. If they screw it up really bad, I'll wait and download it and check it out. And if it's really good, I'll go I'll rush to the dollar theater to see it. But if it starts if it get, if it starts getting an inkling of good reviews trickling out from the reviewers and my friends, yeah, my you know, I'll go on a matinee and check it out. It's, you know, if that you know, if if I go to see it and it's great, how awesome is that? You go see a really good, get to see a really good Star Trek movie in a theater. If it's not good, well, I'm used to it. <laughs> I'm used to disappointment with from my franchises. On, you know, it'll just be, it'll, you know, I think at the worst case scenario, it'll be Superman Returns. No, please, dear God, no. It could be worse, you know. Superman Returns at least had some moments of uh, Superman into my veins, mostly at the very beginning. But at least there was something there, you know. At least I can pull up the picture of Superman pulling, you know, flying alongside of and along the edges of that plane going down and go, wow, that was really Superman. Or the or the or just the beginning title credits <laughs> were worth it for me. For the matinee I sat through, for the goosebumps that I experienced, and like the little choke in the back of my throat as soon as the music started, nice and loud, and you know it's, it's just flying through space. It was just like awesome, you know. Yeah, I like the, the part where caught the airplane, but that was that was about the only yeah. part I thought really worked in the whole movie as far as it being Superman. But uh, um, what now? Now. Scott. Well, I don't know. That it makes me feel really weird because you know, it, it, it's you know how I put it on the forum. You know, in in that thread you were talking about, the one that Will started about the trailer is, uh, I I felt like what what's the word ogling, oogling, yeah, whatever. I felt like I was ogling another woman. You know, because I liked the trailer. I mean, it got me jazzed. It got me excited. Yeah. I, I liked the the music in it. It had a lot of action. You know, and it was easy to watch it and just think that movie looks really cool. But then you remember that this is supposed to be Star Trek, you know, which is, I mean, it's just, it is what it is. It's a legend, you know, and it's, it's what we grew, you know, you and I grew up with. I mean, Kirk is one of my boyhood heroes, but Kirk portrayed by William Shatner. So, it's going to be really hard for me to divorce myself from that going to see this movie. But the deal breaker for me is if this is a reboot, it's just going to piss me off. You know, it's got to fit. And that's my problem with it is right off the bat, right from the trailer, it looks like it's not going to fit. And, you know, I, I you know, I, I can. You know, I can curb myself to a degree. You know, like you said, I, I can, 
I can forgive the ship update, you know, because I, I like you, I think that's needed. If you're going to bring classic Trek to the big screen, you, you can't make it look the same as the I mean, 60s yeah, show. It's got to look it like be, it's 300 years in the future. Exactly. It would be laughable to bring the exact same bridge to the big screen. It just right. would. As, as much as I love it, it, it just would be silly. So I can forgive the ship update. I can forgive the uniform tweaks. I can forgive a hell of a lot. But what I can't forgive is it looks like in the trailer, and granted this is going just strictly from the trailer. I don't know shit about the details of this movie. I have stayed well clear of spoilers. You have two minutes of quick cuts, that's all. But in in the trailer, it shows Kirk ride up on his space motorcycle or whatever the hell it's supposed to be. And he's looking at the Enterprise being constructed on Earth. Right off the bat, that contradicts continuity. The, the Enterprise was not constructed on Earth. That, that right there bugged me. The, the other, you know, another thing is, you know, the guy doesn't look, you know, he, he doesn't look younger. They don't have a younger actor portraying Kirk in the sequence where he drives up and sees the Enterprise being built. Kirk is the third captain of the Enterprise. Robert April served at least five years because he had a five-year mission on the, on the Enterprise. And then he was followed up by Captain Pike, who was captain for at least ten years because he had two five-year missions. And I think he was working on a third when he had that accident that disfigured him. So are they taking any of that into account? Well, and then don't even get me started about Dr. Piper and Gary Mitchell and all that. I mean, I wonder if I, Gary just, Mitchell will show up. I wonder if Finnegan will show up. Oh, God. But I'm just saying Here comes the music. Here it comes. Oh, I love it. I mean, I know that I'm being an anal retentive fanboy, but I don't care. This is my Star Trek, and you don't fuck with my Star Trek. Scotty boy, don't you remember me? I'm just they don't follow the you know follow the continuity if they do the outright reboot then I'm I I, I can't support it you know oh, I don't care how you got slow you got old and slow Scotty boy <laughs> I'm gonna but have that I'm, stupid music blaring right now listen to it I love it but on the on the other hand um. Well, the other thing that that kind of makes me, I don't know, it kind of weirds me out is, do I want to go see it, you know, right away in the theater? Because typically with this sort of thing, you know, I'm chomping at the bit. I got to get to the theater. I like to go like opening day or opening weekend to go see it. However, you know, look at, you know, even though it was a critical bomb, look at the financial success that Star Trek The Motion Picture was. Now, granted, I love that movie, but but the rest of the world hated Star Trek The Motion Picture. The fans hated that movie, yet they went to see it over and over and over again, which made it enough of a success that it spawned the rest of the franchise. It's the the Star Wars syndrome. Exactly. they, they, They can complain and complain and complain. You can bitch and bitch and bitch about how you're disappointed by it, but you still, you want to see it, you know, and it's... But my point is, so if this movie comes out and it sucks and the fans fucking hate it, but they go and they pay their, you know, their 10 bits to see it, that's going to make it a financial success, which ultimately is all that Paramount cares about is how much money does it make? 
does it make enough money to warrant a sequel? If it makes enough money, then it's going to spawn sequels in the same vein. They won't care about what the fans are saying as far as it, this isn't our Star Trek. If it makes the money, bottom line is yeah. And that really makes that's that's what makes me the most nervous of all is that I don't want them to carry it forward if it's not my Star Trek. But if it if it appeals to the you know if it makes enough money or if God forbid it appeals to who the target audience actually is, which is not the fans. They're they're going for we need to make Star Trek cool. We need to Smallville eyes Star Trek. If they're successful with that. And you get people that never would have fucking watched a Star Trek movie suddenly thinking, "Oh, Star Trek's cool now." Yeah. It it destroys the franchise, and that's a that's a shame. It's really a shame to me because you know ultimately I don't give a damn about Paramount's pocketbook. I give a damn about getting more classic Star Trek, and I, I'm just I'm really nervous. I believe me, I want to enjoy this movie. I don't I don't I'm trying not to hate on it. Before I've seen it, I'm trying to keep an open mind, but just everything I keep seeing and hearing about it just really has my stomach in knots. I have a feeling that we're headed down a path that fans are not going to like. Just on a hopeful, on my hopeful note, I think a it was kind of necessary to do something like this if you were going to do Star Trek. I mean. I think they've decided, I don't know if the actors have decided or the studios have decided, but somebody has decided not to follow the route they were following with Star Trek and basically get the cast of the next generation together and, uh, you know, just do an adventure. Basically a two-hour version of the TV show with amped-up special effects and probably more time spent on this and money spent on the soundtrack and you get to see a couple new rooms of the enterprise or whatever a room you never saw or some bullshit like that and data gets it his left nut finally and or whatever so they've decided to get out of that and i'm as far as i'm concerned good riddance it wasn't you know it was it was they were starting to not really do anything the, the next generation movies none of them really did anything for me except for generations and that wasn't like awesome but it was good you know I enjoyed it it had some genuine Kirk moments in it and it had some real cheese to it and it was still by by that time the formula was starting to wear a little thin you know because it was getting to the point of like okay what storyline you follow people are getting long in the tooth and then the next generation stuff, you didn't really have to worry about that, but it was just like, eh, how can we do a good story that advances the characters without killing anybody off or doing anything too dramatic, you know? And or whatever. But So we needed something to breathe some new light into it, and I'm sure they were talking about maybe doing like a Voyager movie or, you know, or an Enterprise movie or something like that. But... This is this is at least I would you know I would rather see this movie than a Voyager and an Enterprise movie, and I mean I'm really hoping that J J Abrams lives you know lives you know if it had like Jerry Brockheimer attached to it or what's that guy's name Brent Ratner. what is your problem with Jerry Brockheimer anyway Jerry fucking Schlockheimer. <laughs> 
Jerry fucking Fuckheimer. <laughs> well, we need to. Because need he's, to wrap. he's suckered me out of money before, and I fucking <laughs> want it back. What did you see of his that you didn't that that put you off him so bad? Because I, I mean, I thought I'm not, I'm not a fan. Independence Day was I mean, okay. Oh, that movie sucked. It was. I, I thought it was okay. I thought it was good pop entertainment. He it was did that one. I thought that was those those brothers that did uh, like Stargate and Godzilla and that. No. I thought they were the ones that did that Independence Day. That was no. a Bruckheimer film. I think it was Jerry Bruckheimer. And um, um, the day after tomorrow, what a piece of fucking steaming pile of diarrhea that was. He did that one too. Yes. All right. See, so yeah, when know I think why, of Bruckheimer, I, why I thought I, think, I, I it was a good idea to go see that, but I did. And when what, I think of Bruckheimer, I think of like Pirates of the Caribbean, which you know the Pirates second the one. Caribbean, was, I didn't see the second one. The first one I've seen a few times, and I enjoy the hell out of it. See, I didn't like the first one. The third one was eh, but I thought the second one kicked was, ass. Yeah, that was I've a heard. good. But and no, then no. Uh, what was it? Didn't he also do the? Um, the Treasure, National Treasure? No, both of those were good movies. I haven't seen those, but I, I fucking hate Nicolas Cage, so I'm biased. And I, as a conspiracy theorist connoisseur, I have a feeling it's going to be a little too, like, pop culture-y, like... The, um, oh, sure, it was fun. Um, that's what I heard. I heard it was, like, super light Indiana Jones fun. Um, exactly. It was Indiana Jones Light. That's exactly what it was. What was another movie? He just did th like 3000 BC or whatever, but that, I didn't see that. Ah, uh, shit. What was the one before the day after tomorrow? I don't know. Uh, it sucks. Well, it could be, it could like be worse. It could be him directing. It could be that guy, that hack Brent Ratner. Oh, yeah. Guy. That people that that Hollywood seems to think is a really good director, or at least a director to put in charge of stuff that should be handled right. The only he did a decent job on Red Dragon, the um, third Hannibal Lecter, the the Hannibal Lecter movie that they made after Hannibal. See, the only thing of his that I think that I've seen, I mean, the, I think the only thing of his that I've seen is uh, uh, X-Men 3, which I didn't think was bad as everybody made it out to be, but it wasn't good. It wasn't but bad, but he's just not... He doesn't have much depth to him, you know? He doesn't right. really... He, he's capable, you know? But that's about it. That's about all I can say for him. And that's usually who, like, movies like this get... You know, none of the Star Trek movies got really handed to any, like, directors with any kind of legitimacy to them. Even Ooh. when the cast members did it. Ooh, that's harsh, man. You don't remember? Uh... Oh no, no. I just thought of two of them. I gotta argue. I, the first okay. one I thought of was Nick Meyer. I mean, Nick Myers. Oh, oh okay. Oh, never mind. Never mind. Because Nick, yeah, Nick Myers. But then is you great. are you are forgetting. You are forgetting, my friend. Star Trek: The Motion Picture. The first movie was directed by Robert Wise. That's I mean, true too. You're right. You're right. And he's like grand director of the old school now, as well. I stand corrected. Granted, I will never forgive him for having directed The Sound of Frickin' Music, because I hate that movie. But, yeah, uh, but at the same time, I mean, that's also a movie that has connected to oh, yeah, untold my, quadrillions of people, so it was doing something right for the masses. The day the Earth stood still, man. Yeah. I mean, oh, no. no you, you, okay, 
Well, after <laughs> after after that, it just became, you know, Joe director or a cast member, you know, right. would get right. to direct it, and and you would get varying levels of quality, and and it turned out the cast members were always better directors because they had more of a grasp on the whole feel everything because they'd been there since the get go, but. You know, I mean, a lot of these, you know, I mean, a lot of these movies, and I think maybe people got scared by Ang Lee's The Hulk, <laughs> which I'm sure wasn't a big money maker. And uh, although I thought that was a very good movie, you know, but not that J.J. Abrams is Alfred fucking Hitchcock, but he seems to have, he seems to have a level of, legitimacy to him to where he seems like he would know when he was getting too cheesy or too revisionist and would hopefully understand you know the fine line that he's walking with it you know that he has to walk in order to make it work I don't it's know not even Steve... making people happy it's not even a matter of to make it right not to make it even commercially viable but to make it correctly is is if I was the director of a new Star Trek movie, I would have to be like, how do I make this movie feel like Star Trek? And I would be thinking to myself, well, you know, if to make it feel like the original, I'd have to copy it, but you can't copy it. But you have to still... I, it's, I, it all comes... I like to compare it to um, um, Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan. He pulled it off. You know that was a tough role to be cast in, and I thought he, I thought he captured enough of Alec Guinness without doing an impression of him, to make him feel like Obi Wan. You know his, his body movements, his body language, and his his speech inflections and the things he would say, worked as Obi Wan. It was Obi Wan, and uh, it's going to be even harder to do Jim Kirk because there's many people who can do their. William Shatner is Kirk impressions and do it really well but to do it without doing an impression to do it as really James Kirk and really feel that that's tough <laughs> and so, not come off so as you're a, saying that you're approaching it from it'll work for you if the actors pull off the roles no only it will only work two things have to be pulled off for it to work for me and I think if those things pull are pulled off, the st the storyline and the action don't have to be awesome to get me because that that's not what the whoever writes it has to write it has to write Kirk correctly has to make him Kirk that person that and Kirk is very he's. He's Kirk. You know it's Kirk. You know, William Shatner doing Kirk, there was no question what his motivations were. Sometimes he would be tricky with how he got about doing stuff, but he had, you know, you knew that person. You knew him like he was your friend. You know, you know him. It's like Indiana Jones. When you have a well-acted, portrayed, written character, you get to know that person so when you see them in a scene, you can see a scene unfolding and you can sort of anticipate, oh my God, Kirk's going to, in this in this upcoming episode that we're doing, you'll hear it up ahead. I'll have our moment of Kirk this week 
comes right from the episode that we're reviewing has a great moment of Kirk in there and you know you can everything about Kirk comes up in those moments you know he's he's going forward you know he's gonna do it and he's open-minded and he's eager to learn and and go forward and at the same time you know he's gonna get his way and he'll he'll he he won't always be the most ethical person to do it but he's always doing it for a good reason you know and he sticks to his his guns and he's humorous about it too they got to get the humor right that you know he loves tweaking mr spock and tweaking everybody you know he's he sees the humor in a situation and reacts to it and is he's he's like always in a state of awe and humor about what's going on around him you know he's he's always engaged in what's going on it's a it's a complex at the same time sort of comic booky character but and the the whole reason it happened was because of Shatner Shatner really did it and was Kirk so even the people even the younger people still even if they haven't watched Star Trek episodes they've seen people do Shatner right so you know, I don't so know. You're, so you're if, saying if, that the if they write, if they write is... Kirk right and he acts like Kirk and reacts to what's going on as Kirk would and the general thread of the movie is about Kirk and a little lesser so Spock. It's about the relationship between Kirk and Spock, but it's really it's all about Kirk. <laughs> all right, so you're fucking phasers. Fighting so your maker, phasers. your make, your make or break is is Kirk. Kirk's portrayal. All right, it's my make, my make or break it. is whether or not this is a, a a full on, you know, to hell with the fans, screw continuity yeah. reboot. That the, that's the, my the, make the ship break. he was looking at. A. You don't know, you, you know, you're looking over his shoulder at the ship on the ground okay if the enterprise was built in space which we know was we've seen the drawings of it and stuff you know or it's you know established that that i can get over that but you know we don't even know that's the enterprise he well, i just, mean that was just that was just one aspect i was focusing yeah. on i mean there there are tons more i mean for one thing the 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 kid uh at the at the helm with uh, with Sulu, I'm pretty sure this is supposed to be Chekhov. So I mean, if this is truly yeah. a right out of the get, you know, right out of the gate first yeah, adventure, Chekhov shouldn't have been there. Yeah, he shouldn't be there. McCoy shouldn't be. You know, I mean, again, I, I can super nitpick it, but I, you know, I, the verdict's out. I mean, bottom line, I liked what I saw in the trailer. It just makes me nervous. It might so, follow. It might follow a timeline where it's like. You know, the first half of the movie could it could it looks like it might have parallel young Kirk and young because they have two kid versions of Kirk and Spock, so they might have a good part of it take place in the past and it might jump to that classic Enterprise time period. Right. But if it does, well, also, uh, that, that actor's a little young. Well, Leonard Nimoy is going to be in the movie, so that gives me hope. If he's in the movie as Spock. Then that gives me hope that they're not just scrapping continuity. That that somehow this fits somewhere, and yeah. that's that's all I need. I just need it to fit. 
everything else is secondary to me. How Kirk is portrayed, you know, how any of them are portrayed, you know, how, what the action is like, what the story, I don't give a damn about any of that because I liked what I saw in the trailer enough to that'll get my ass in the seat. All that secondary, what, what I care about is, is it my Star Trek or are they just going to say, you know what, to hell with you. We don't care that you've been devoted your entire fucking life to this. We don't care about you. We want to attract the 90210 crowd or the fucking Dawson's yeah, Creek crowd. Very likely you know? that could be. And that's exactly what I think they're doing. And if that's what they're doing, you know, I'm really, I'm tired of that. You know, Marvel and DC are already doing that shit to me. And now I've got Star Trek doing it to me too. You know, just because I've gotten older doesn't mean I'm any less loyal to these things that I've loved all my life. Why the fuck are they being disloyal to me? That's what hurts they my feelings. Exactly, they do, the bastards. All right, well, we've devoted much too much time to that, unless you had any any other thoughts on it. Nope. I'm One thing I, I like that I, I noticed in the uh, in the trailer is uh, Michael Giacchino, I think is how you pronounce his name, is doing the music for that. I'm not a huge fan, but I like some of the stuff I've heard. He did the score to um, The Incredibles, among a lot of other oh, things. Yeah, I like his music, so I'm curious what his Star Trek score is going to sound like. You know, I, I, you know, there's other composers I'd much rather have been tapped to do it, but I'm curious what his, uh, what his Trek score will sound like. It, it should be, you know, should be different. So that's, uh, you know, that was something I noticed that, uh, you know, it's kind of got my my curiosity up. Um, do we need to take a break, or do you want me to knock out this? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's do the let's do the book. Okay. And then we'll do a moment of Kirk, and then we'll come right. right back to classic track, real classic track, real classic You're track. Safe okay. With that stuff, yeah. <clears throat> I'm gonna try my 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 very best to have some sort of a uh, uh, book or something something Star Trekky review every uh, every episode. And right now I'm on a real Star Trek book kick. Um, there's just so many. Um, books out that I've kind of taken an interest to that I, I want to get caught up on my Star Trek reading. So this was one I, I finished just recently. Um, it's called Star Trek The Next Generation Resistance, written by J.M. Dillard. And J.M. Dillard has, uh, has written quite a few different Star Trek books. The one that always comes to my mind was Star Trek The Lost Years. And that was a book that took place, um, basically told the end of the five-year mission. And what, what what happened to everybody? It was basically a breakup story. You know what what happened to them post the end of the mission. Um, that was a really good book. It's been a long time since I've read it. Anyway, this uh, this newest book, this one caught my eye because again, I'm I'm on a kick right now where you know all the Star Trek movies are done. You know, Voyager um, finished, and you know, I watched finally watched all the way through Voyager. So I'm I'm now very interested in the post adventures, and I was really excited to find out that there are so many post adventures. You know, post the end of what you know the different series or what. So anyway, this book Resistance takes place um, an unspecified amount of time after the end of. Um, Star Trek Nemesis, which was the last movie. So, spoilers for Nemesis, if you haven't... Have you seen Nemesis, Chris? 
Are you muted? Yes, I have. Yes, I was. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes, I was, I, and yes, I have. Sorry, I didn't want to spoil it for you personally if you hadn't seen it. All right, oh, so fine. so this is a spoiler. spoiler. If you have not seen Nemesis, fast forward just a second. Um, but right off the bat, um, this book has the challenge of replacing three key uh, members of the Enterprise crew, which were Data, Riker, and Troy. So, you know, that challenge is, is met right at the beginning, and uh, Worf is tapped to be the new first officer of the Enterprise. Um, and then they also, they have a new counselor, and this time it's a female Vulcan counselor, which I thought was kind of a, a unique take, you know, especially having a, Vulcar, a Vulcan as a counselor, I thought was a was a very... Kind of strange and yeah. unusual route to go, but it actually plays very well. Anyway, the story on this one is uh, it starts very similarly to Star Trek First Contact, which initially made me nervous because I don't like Star Trek First Contact. It was one of the few Star Trek films that did just didn't work for me. I, just, I, I think it's a poor entry in the series. But anyway, um, it starts very similarly where... Now, if you'll remember the end of Voyager, the the Borg was pretty, you know, thoroughly wrapped up, I thought. It looked like they'd pretty much been destroyed. You know, the, the Queen was killed, and their conduit thingies to Earth and, and the Alpha Quadrant were shut down. So it looked like that was pretty much the end of them. But suddenly, Picard starts to hear their voices again, just like he did at the beginning of, of First Contact. So he gets in touch with Starfleet, and it ends up the person he talks to is Janeway, who's now been promoted to an admiral. And he tells her what's going on. He's hearing these voices. Something's up. And he wants to go to this particular place where he knows the Borg are constructing a ship. And they are um, basically creating a new queen. And Janeway um, orders him not to go. And to stand by and wait for a special consultant to, you know, rendezvous with him, and then they'll go and scope out the situation. And the the special person that that he's supposed to wait for is Seven of Nine. So Picard basically blows Janeway off, disregards his orders, because he feels like time is of the essence. They've got to deal with this situation now before the Borg vessel is fully operational and the new queen is birthed. So he goes off and basically, uh, you know, goes rogue or whatever to deal with this situation. And from there, it's just one misstep after another. Just the situation goes from bad to worse to just, oh, how are they going to get out of this shit? And it's great. I really liked this book. It, it had a hell of a lot of action. You finally get to see Picard not be so fucking infallible all the time. He fucks up, and he fucks up in a big way. And it really pays off. There's a lot of drama, a lot of intrigue. There's, uh, I liked that there's a lot of clash between um, uh, Picard and the new counselor, and even between Worf and the new counselor. Worf has done really well in this book because uh, I'll spoil just a little bit to let you know that Worf turns down the promotion to first officer and a lot of the drama of the book is trying to figure out what's going through Worf's mind. Why did he turn this down when, you know, he's pretty clearly the next guy in line for it. 
And when it, when you find out what his reasoning is, I really like that. I thought it was very uh, <laughs> logical, to use a Star Trek term. But uh, I like the conflict between him and the counselor. But uh, I really like Picard, the way Picard was portrayed in this. He was a little less the uh, uh, Ahab that he was in First Contact, but he's still very driven to try to do the right thing and and to wipe the Borg out once and for all. And shit just doesn't go his way. Really excellent book. I did, unfortunately, though, have a couple of nitpicks. Uh, and they... They are really tiny nitpicks, though. I really did like this book. So just really tiny nitpicks. One of them was, and it's kind of mentioned in an offhand way, so it's easy to forgive, but I forget which character makes the reference. It might have been Picard. I, I, I forget who says it, but somebody makes a reference to the fact that the Borg don't dream. Now, this might seem like a super tiny nitpick, but if fans of Voyager will remember... They made a pretty big deal out of the fact that the Borg clearly do dream because that's what Unimatrix Zero was all about. You know, Unimatrix Zero was an episode or it might have been a two-parter. I can't remember. But anyway, it was about the fact that um, when the Borg dream, they create a virtual world where they all go and basically hang out in whatever identity they were before they were assimilated. And it becomes a very big plot point. So, I mean, that was the whole deal with that with that scenario was that they clearly do dream. So uh, either the author forgot or Picard didn't know or whatever. But anyway, that that was just a nitpick. It wasn't anything. It wasn't a stickler. It didn't ruin anything for me. This other one, though, was actually a much bigger nitpick for me. And it did kind of bug me. But again, didn't ruin the book or anything. But it was just one of those kind of things where I go, well, what the hell ever happened to this character? And that was the fact that maybe this just isn't in continuity. I don't know. But if, if anybody ever saw the special edition DVD release of Star Trek Nemesis, there were a bunch of um, deleted scenes that were included on the disc. One of the deleted scenes, we were introduced to the new first officer of the Enterprise, who was uh, Commander Martin Madden. So I'm just wondering what the hell ever happened to this guy? He's not even mentioned in this book, so was that not in continuity because it was just a deleted scene or what's the I just would have liked some mention, you know, maybe he didn't work out, you know, maybe he got killed, uh, got reposted, whatever, you know. But I just would have liked some bone thrown to me for knowing the fact that, you know, this guy did some, you know, in some half-assed way, he did exist, at least in those deleted scenes. So, other than that, I mean, those are, you know, pretty minor nitpicks. I highly recommend this book. I thought it was excellent. It's one of the best Trek books I've read in a hell of a long time, and it was really awesome. What's neat is it stands alone as its own thing. You know, you don't really have to read anything else, and it wraps up pretty nicely at the end. However, it, the story does continue if you want it to continue. And I'm right now reading the next one. It's called Star Trek The Next Generation Before Dishonor, um, written by Peter David. And I'm just about to finish that book. I'll ha- I should have a review of that one next time we meet up, and I'll let you know what I think of that one. Cool. So that's uh, Star Trek The Next Generation Resistance. Excellent book. Highly recommend it. Awesome. Well. We will now go to a moment of Kirk and then come back with, uh, what's the name of this next episode? 
Return to Tomorrow. Yes, with Sargon. Everyone's a Captain Kirk. I'm Captain Kirk. And now, sit back and relax as we uncork a bottle of Vintage Kirk. Brought to you by Master of Motor, William Shatner. They used to say a man could fly, he'd have wings. But he did fly. He discovered he had to. Do you wish that the first Apollo mission hadn't reached the moon, or that we hadn't gone on to Mars and then to the nearest star? That's like saying you wish that you still operated with scalpels and sewed your patients up with catgut, like your great-great-great-great-grandfather used to. I'm in command. I could order this. But I'm not. Because Dr. McCoy is right in pointing out the enormous danger potential in any contact with life and intelligence as fantastically advanced as this. But I must point out that the possibilities, the potential for knowledge and advancement is equally great. Risk is our business. That's what the starship is all about. That's why we're aboard her. You may descend without prejudice. Do I hear a negative vote? This has been your vintage Kirk for today. Now we return to our podcast. Okay, we are back from break, and this go-around, we are... This is the part of our Star Trek Monthly Monday episodes where we review a classic Star Trek episode, and in this one, we are going to review Return to Tomorrow... In this classic episode, um, Captain Kirk uh, receives a summons, basically, from a mysterious dead planet. And it's in the form of a disembodied voice that just kind of eerily informs them that they need to come and uh, come at all, at all speed to come check out the situation on this planet. I am Sargon. So when they get there, um, Spock realizes that they, they can't beam down there because it's too far. What would you say? It was like two miles underground two or something miles like into that? solid rock. But the, the coordinates end up preset. 
you know, by this mysterious disembodied voice, which kind of freaks out Scotty and, and Dr. McCoy. So uh, Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and a new character, Dr. Anne Mulhall, who is, what was she, like ship's, what did she say, ship's psychiatrist or something like that, Yeah. Um, decide to beam down to the planet, or actually they're summoned by Sargon, this disembodied voice. To, yeah, he to, pretty much yeah. picks who's going to go down there. Yeah. He picks the away team, or the well, they didn't call them away teams, and the uh, landing party to go down to the to the planet. So they beam down there, and when they get there, they meet Sargon, who is basically just a uh, a voice inside of a uh, glowing dodgeball, basically. Yep. The, and uh, like a di- those are distant cousins of the brain floating in the saline solution. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, so they find out what the deal is with Sargon. He's from a race that's been around for umpteen zillion years, and they, he, his race is the possible progenitors of humanoid species in the galaxy because he refers to, to Kirk several times and to the, to, to the crew as my children, and Kirk questions him on it, and he says, well, you know, it's very possible that we seeded your planet and we're possibly the Adam and Eve, you know, of, of your history, which... You know, those kind of scenarios always kind of make me roll my eyes. Yeah. Why does everything in the galaxy have to be connected to Earth somehow? But anyway, then uh, Kirk uh, is possessed by Sargon. Sargon takes over his body, which freaks out Dr. McCoy. McCoy, you know, what at first, it? yeah, exactly, is holding his phaser on, on Kirk, to which Spock says, you know, what are you going to do, you know, if, if he doesn't vacate you know, Kirk's body, are you going to shoot him? You know, it's still Kirk's body. So, you know, Sargon finally, you know, after a couple of ominous, you know, going to commercial moments in the very beginning, Sargon finally lays out what the story is. He takes them to another chamber where there's all these other, uh, you know, dodgeballs. And all of them are dead now, except for two. You know, in the course of 500,000 years, you know, only... Sargon and these other two have survived. One of them is Thalesia, who is Sargon's wife. And sounds like she's named after a sexual act. Sargon <laughs> sounds like he's named after a cleaning product. And then uh, Sargon introduces the last one as someone who was on the other side during the conflict that destroyed their planet and their people, and his name is Henok. Which, which sounds I th- like yeah, if you say it like, like, Hanok! <laughs> what did you say it sounded like? Like a blow to the solar plexus. <laughs> Hanok! So, so basically, Sargon, Thalesia, and, and Hanok want to take over the, the bodies of um, Kirk, uh, Dr. Mulhall, and Spock, temporarily, with their permission, of course, so that they can build new um, android bodies for themselves. They basically they want bodies again. You know they're tired of just hanging out in these glowing dodgeballs, and right. they feel it's time to get out and you know get back out there and explore the galaxy again. Right, and they want to make hearts of plastic, arms and legs of plastic, <laughs> whole freaks of plastic. Well, that one that one creepy looking android thing too. It does look like he's made of plastic or yeah. something. So you know. Somewhat, I think it's somewhat predictable, but somewhat predictably, 
Hanok doesn't want to give up Spock's body. That's where the drama of the episode comes from. You know, he's he's identified right off the bat as being from the other side. So despite 500,000 years having gone by and these three being the last three people from their planet, uh, planet Hanok is still holding on to old grudges or whatever and still his evil evil ways and he wants to hang on to Spock's body. He doesn't want a robot body. And at some point he tries to convince uh, Thalesa of the same thing, you know, that, that she doesn't want to give up that body. Right. You know, why doesn't she just stay there and it'll just be the two of them. So that's where the drama of the episode comes from. Um, just to wrap it up quick and dirty, at the end of the episode, um, Hanok has destroyed the globes um, that were containing the consciousness of Sargon and Thalesa. And then the last globe he destroyed was his own globe, but it had Spock's consciousness in it. So now we believe that Spock is his consciousness has been destroyed, and and Hanok now you know has free reign over Spock's body. And he goes and takes over the bridge, and he's sitting in the captain's chair, and he's basically you know everybody else is his pawn at this point. You know his power. He has like Charlie X style powers right. and everything. Nobody can challenge him. And Doctor McCoy comes up with a a what it's like a poison, right? Yeah. To uh, to go up and they they're gonna basically poison Spock's body to maybe drive this guy out or or, or maybe even kill him in Spock's body. They're not quite sure. So they go up to do that, and before Doctor McCoy can even get within distance of him, Hanok reads his mind and figures out what he what his plan is, and he freezes him in his tracks, you know, Charlie X style, and orders um, Nurse Chapel to take the hypo spray from Doctor McCoy and inject Doctor McCoy with the poison, and he she takes it, and it looks like she's going to do it, and then all of a sudden she switches and she hypos Spock's body, you know, Hanok. So, you know, he freaks out, and it's a great little you know acting moment with Leonard Nimoy where he looks all freaked out and everything, and uh, and uh, he basically dies, and, and Hanok's consciousness is knocked out, and then there's a great moment with Kirk where he's all sad for, you know, he's, you know, cradling Spock in his arms, and, you know, he's upset for his friend. You know, they, they all believe he's dead. And then, you know, it's like the holy shit moment of the episode – we hear Sargon's voice again, you know, despite the globe being destroyed or whatever, Sargon evidently has evolved to the point where he can exist outside of the, the globe thingy. And he pulls Spock's consciousness back. And it turns out that it had been inside nurse chapel. And nice. good place to be. <laughs> so he reunites Spock's soul with his body and Spock's okay. Spock's going to be all right. And then Sargon and Thalasia, with Kirk and Mulhall's permission, um, inhabit their bodies one more time so that they can share one last moment together, one last kiss. And then they basically, what, like dissipate out into the ether, right? Yeah. And that's pretty much the way that, that the episode ends. It's a pretty, pretty straightforward episode. Pretty standard, full of all your standard Star Trek... Uh... It's a it's a great Star Trek stew. Yep. So what do you what do you think of this one? Phasers fighting and fucking. Um, you got. <laughs> you don't really have much phasers. They get drawn, but not much phaser play. Fighting. There's plenty of fighting and and whether it's mental will fighting, and fucking. You know we're not going. It's not a porno. Although a great porno would be deep inside Nurse Chapel. 
I just uh, thought of that. <laughs> Still thinking about it. Oh, but man. um, let's see. All you all you have to do to cure yourself of that is look at her like when she came back and played uh, when she was uh, Deanna Troy's mother much later she was, on. When that'll, she was grandma, yeah. Yeah, that'll. But cure I don't this. know. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> I don't know. I have a wide and varied tastes. You're a sick, ladies. sick man. Maybe time will time will bear me out. Anyway, and but Kirk, he gets to it. now. Technically, it's not Kirk because it's Sargon in Kirk's body. But William Shatner gets to make out with the hot guest star, as always. All right, now I want to I want to talk about the hot guest star. Um, she's played by Deanna Mulder, who, um, she comes back again, um, later in Trek. She's in that episode, I think it's called By Any Other Name, where she plays the, the blind, oh man, it's been so long since I've seen that one. Oh, that, that she's one. like the mute, -ish. no, she's not No, no, the she's blind. Oh, that, you're thinking of the empath. No, she comes back. Damn, I had her her name right on the the tip of my brain earlier. Now I can't think of for some reason. I was thinking earlier. I was like, man, I cannot believe I remember that character's name. And now when I need to remember it, I can't remember it. But uh, or no, it's not. That's not the name of that one either. It's uh, is there in truth no beauty? There, that's yeah. the one. No she plays uh, Miranda Jones, and uh, she uh, she brings uh, Kolos aboard. He was a Medusan. That's the one where Spock... They're not supposed to look at the Medusans. Remember, they have those red visors? Yes. Spock ends up looking at him anyway, and he, like, flips out. That It's been a long time since I've seen that one, but I remember that one being pretty good. Anyway, she played that role, too. But what, what, what most uh, fans would probably remember her for is she came back to Star Trek again in the second season of Next Generation, and she was... Um, the doctor, Dr. Uh, Pulaski. And uh, I just wanted to touch on that for a minute because I'm the only person I know that liked Dr. Pulaski. And I will even go so far as to say I like Dr. Pulaski a hell of a lot better than I like Dr. Crusher. So that, for what it's worth, that, that's my take on it. I, I really like Pulaski. I thought she actually had a personality and wasn't just, you know, just... You know the token character, doctor character on the show. Yeah. She actually had some some substance. I like the whole thing with, you know, with her and and uh, Will Riker's father and all that. I thought that was pretty cool. But anyway, getting getting back to this episode, I just wanted to throw that out there. What else you got? Well, yeah, Kirk Kirk always gets to lay lips on on the hot actress, and he got to in this. Um, it's got all you know. It's 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 got a lot of stro elements. It reminds me of a little bit of where No Man Has Gone Before, which was on our last episode, where you have a being that's advanced to godlike status. Although Sargon really sort of rises to the occasion. He's kind of sinister at first, but he turns out to be really bene truly benevolent. You know, he's really concerned about their well-being. He might be kind of arrogant in a detached sort of my children sort of way and now when, um when and he's Hoya, not Hoya is you know he's <laughs> got more of the negative characteristics Anak. now he uh, no, when he's not in kirk's body do you know who's doing his voice 
No. It's Jimmy Doing. Really? Sure is. He did a lot of voices for Trek, you know, because I'm pretty sure he also did the voice of the uh, of the Gateway in City on the Edge of Forever. Uh-huh. That would make and sense. Pretty sure that he was the voice of uh, of uh, Commodore April in the episode where they meet. And it's an animated series episode, but they actually meet the captain of the Enterprise, who was the captain before both Kirk and Pike. And I'm pretty sure he does his voice. I and mean, he did he did a lot of other voices too, but those are the ones that always come to mind along with uh, with Sargon here. And there's a couple of moments if if you know it ahead of time, if you know that fact you ahead of time, you can, can kind of hear it a couple of times yeah. during the episode. But I thought that was kind of neat. And uh, well, one of the things that that occurred to me today when I was you know preparing for the show and thinking about a lot about this episode is. You know, I sat and I watched it, and I hadn't seen this episode in a long, long time. And, you know, it was one that, you know, I had fond but vague memories of. And I think part of the reason is that it's a good show. It's a good episode. You know, I don't have any any quibbles with it or anything. But it's just kind of there, you know. It's not one that, that... lends a lot to the to the lore or to the legend or so i thought Uh-oh. and then but then i suddenly remembered you know what it actually does it actually really? is a hell of a big thing to it if you think back put, put yourself back into the early 80s right after star trek 2 and spock had died right right Spo- spoiler by the way for star trek 2 if you haven't <laughs> spock dies um but, you know, remember there was all that speculation for the next movie. You know, how are they going to bring Spock back? You know, was it going to be Leonard Nimoy? And, you know, how, what were they going to do and all that? I remember a lot of, you know, people who were really familiar with this series, people that were much more familiar with it than I was at that time. Because I really got into Star Trek heavy with Star Trek too. It was really seeing that on HBO that really made me want to go back and, and really become you know, a major fan rather than just somebody who had seen, you know, episodes as a kid, but kind of had grown out of it, you know? So anyway, I remember there being a lot of speculation about the part in this episode where Dr. Chapel carried Spock's consciousness. And sure enough, that plays very heavily sure. into Star Trek three, the search for Spock, because McCoy right. basically does the same thing. So this episode actually does bring, you know, a, a fairly substantial bit of, of lore into you know, Star Trek canon. So I thought that was neat that it actually is, in that respect anyway, a, a pretty important episode. Yeah. Well, I think it had a lot of the episodes, but it just wasn't as dramatic. It had a little It had a little bit of the Wrath of Khan, or um, not as much Wrath of Khan as Space Seed. It had a right. little bit of the, you know, superior strength people... trying to take over the ship and with their condescending ways (laughs) but But I do I'm sorry go ahead but it it just sort of half-assedly it it throws out a lot of concepts but it doesn't really like dwell on one of them and so it doesn't really have a big theme to it you know right well, I like this one because it's for a change. It's a friendly alien story, you know. I mean, other yeah. than other than Hinnock, you know, it. Uh, you know, I mean, Sargon turns out like you say at the end of it. He's actually a nice guy, and yeah. I feel bad for him and his wife. You know, I mean, they waited five hundred thousand years only to find out that. Well, I guess we might as well just dissipate. You know, which that that was kind of sad. You know, the whole 
kiss goodbye at the end and all that. You know, it, it was it was basically a love story, and it was kind of bittersweet. And I, I, I don't know, I'm a sucker for that kind of thing. About the only thing in the whole that whole aspect that bugged me was uh, the score for this one. You know, in the in the parts that were original, because a lot of this episode, you know, by this point in the this is like a second or third season episode. By this point, they were recycling a lot of music from right. earlier episodes. But there's a lot of this that was actually original, and the original parts are the like love theme, and that gets on my nerves really quick in this episode. It's just not a very good theme, and they use it a lot. But uh, that was really my only like nitpick with the episode was, was that. I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. I was like, I remember this episode being just sort of like a generic Star Trek episode, but it ended up having... As we heard earlier, that moment of Kirk was from the show. That was where he was arguing his case that he should let that they should let these the Sargon inhabit his body. He was just you know he gives his whole. Well, we heard it in the moment of Kirk, and he does it like you know he's into it. <laughs> I think that scene makes this episode because up until this up until that point in the episode. There were a couple of times I felt myself going, you know what? They act like they they're not into this one yeah. very much. Oh, and then he got to that moment, and suddenly he was very impassioned. I was like, okay, that's the old Kirk. You know that that's that's the impassioned. You know, let's see it all my way, Kirk. You know, yeah. I, I I like that moment a lot. I know exactly the the point you're talking about. Um, shoot, I had another point, and I, it just went right out of my brain. I forgot. <laughs> Uh, I can't keep your, you ought to keep your brain in a globe next to you. In a globe <laughs> filled with dry ice. That's what it was. Oh, thank you for saying that. That's what it was. I looked in the uh, in the nitpicker's guide to see you know what, what the guy had to say about this one. And he had a couple that I, I have to admit I think are, are actually really, really nitpicky. But the one that, that, that did stand out, because I can remember kind of thinking about this as a kid and kind of dismissing it as, oh, well, they must have done something. Is all right. Spock um, was in Hanok's globe, right? Yes. And then Hanok destroyed the globe, so they thought Spock was lost. So you know, through the whole episode, whenever Sargon or one of his people inhabited one of the bodies, then that consciousness went into the globe, right? Right. So at the end, at the end of the episode, when Sargon and Thalesa take over. Kirk and Mulhall, where did their consciousness go just during that that sequence? That's a good question. Maybe Sargon. Maybe Sargon has figured out how to. Uh, that's a good question. Yeah. See that? Maybe they, maybe it was a cohabitation, and Kirk got a little bit of, you know, on the on the sly makeout time <laughs> by proxy by just being there. All right. Um. What are we doing? Oh. Oh. We're making out again. Oh, well, I wasn't here the first time. Well, you know, the big question for me is post-episode. All right, I just, I, I got to speculate. Does Kirk bag her later on, you think? Shatner probably always does. Yeah, I, I figured. Oh, you be, well, Kirk, yes. Yeah. Kirk yeah. probably does. Shatner probably did, too. Did you notice Chekhov wasn't in this episode? Yeah, I didn't see him. 
it didn't it didn't occur to me first time around watching this, but then I rewatched it the other day, and I was like, oh, you know what? Chekhov's not in this one. But I mean, and that's another one of those things that that leads into my you know kind of my my beef with well, not just I was going to say with the new Star Trek movie. It's not even really with the new Star Trek movie. It's kind of with all the Star Trek movies. Is they kept together what I what I think is a very idealized version of Star Trek when they went into the movies. You know, they kept, of course, you know, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, which you kind of expect. Yeah. But then they kept in um, Scotty and Uhura and Chekhov and Sulu. And granted, it it is nice to see them. It's it's wonderful to have them there, but. That it's not to me very is a, realistic. Yeah, well, it's not realistic, but that that's not really my point. My point is that it's a very idealized version of how we look back on Star Trek. But you know, there's a lot of episodes. If you really watch the show, there's a lot of episodes where there were other people at those stations. Maybe even for the whole episode. You know, right. there's a, there's a number of episodes that don't have Sulu at the helm. There's a number, you know, a lot of episodes because Chekhov joined the cast late. Uh, late, but even after he joined the cast, there were still episodes like this one where he wasn't in the show. There Where's were episodes. Where's, Where's James? Yeah, Farrell Where's and James. Um, trying to think of some of the other ones. There was uh, wasn't there like a Mister Desoto? Yeah, seems there was a Desoto. There were there were others, and he might but, have I mean, shown up more than one time too. I mean, they did manage to squeeze in. Um, oh, crap, what's it? Kyle? Is it? Yeah, Kyle. The, remember the uh, probably the most famous part I can remember him from is remember the episode. It's another one with tomorrow in the title of it. The one with Captain Captain Christopher. He's the Air Force pilot. Uh huh. Kyle is the one that beams him up from the uh-huh. planet. Remember the part where he gives the security guard chicken soup and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they did bring him into the the movies later on because I can remember he's in Star Trek two and I I think he might even make a cameo in one of the other movies as well but but I mean my point is that it wasn't always just these seven characters I mean there were there were other people at you know at helm and navigation and communications and you know but then we get to the movies and it's like these seven people are always on duty, you know? Right. There's and, nobody and the else. Kind of organization like Starfleet doesn't like, oh, let's get this old classic crew, you know, let's get them all, all these old pranks together because they were so... Di- you know, Starfleet probably wouldn't want to get these guys together because although Kirk has really probably made a name for himself, he was, a, I'm sure, a big pain in the ass to the general <laughs> structure of... Starfleet, the bureaucratic structure. So I'm sure there wasn't a big, you know, there. I could see more of a hurry to put Kirk and Spock together, but McCoy, whatever, <laughs> you could get Doctor, you know, a younger, less mouthy Doctor. Well, plus, you know, there's also the fact to me. All right, granted, they're supposed to live in, you know, in a future that's more enlightened, and you know, according right. to the Roddenberry's. Uh, belief system you know by this point there weren't really personal conflicts everybody got along you know there wasn't any petty jealousies or prejudices or anything like that but at the same rate acknowledging basic human behavior and basic human norms i would expect that Chekhov would be one bitter son of a bitch you know 
He starts off as an ensign, and you know he was the character that anytime once he came to the show, anytime something bad happened on the Enterprise, it typically happened to Chekhov. Yeah, and finally, you know what? Gets, and then the movies came along, and he probably thought it was going to get better. Well, he finally gets promoted, and in Star Trek II, he's the yeah. first officer of the Reliant, right? And then all that shit goes down, and he gets worms in his ears and all that. And then by the next movie, you know, he's right back to being the navigator again. And if I was him, I'd be like, Jesus Christ, you know? Happen? Yeah. I worked my ass off to get to be the, the first officer of this other ship, and now I'm right back where I started. Yeah. So I don't know. I just always thought that was funny how you know it's it's pretty well glossed over, and then you know who ends up finally getting promoted in their last movie? You know, in Star Trek Six, it's not even Chekhov who had previously been a first officer. It's Sulu who goes straight from the helm to command of his own ship. Oh so my. you would think that Chekhov would be pretty pissed by by that point, but oh my, why? That's my Sulu impression. <laughs> oh my, that's pretty. It's pretty good. So anyway, return to tomorrow. Uh, I mean, not my favorite episode, um, but not. I mean, I can't knock not it. It's not a bad. Episode. episode. No, it's not bad at all. I, I think it. I think it's pretty good. Um, you know, I had I some moments. I would actually moment. say this one's to the to the and this uh, this is something I meant to mention at the beginning part of our episode. But ladies and gentlemen, this is what makes podcasting all worth it for us. Is we've got one listener who's never who shall remain anonymous, who has never li- seen Classic Trek and is now considering checking out the Classic Trek. That's so fantastic. She can, so she can keep up with the podcaster because we've mentioned it on the podcast. And we've got Will from the Avengers Assemble is uh, probably going to read him some Walking Dead. On our See, suggestion. so that makes it all worth it. Absolutely, in my opinion, we just saved a life because you know, no, no one should go to their grave without exactly. having watched Star Trek. You know, the classic Star Trek. That's that's just my personal philosophy. Two hundred people have died from crack overdose in the last thirty minutes, but we've saved two people and brought them into the world of Star Trek and The Walking Dead. See. Bringing bringing Trek to the heathens. Yeah, that that's that's we've fulfilled our mission in life. Trek to the Trekless. I like that. I like that. Feck to the feckless. <laughs> I don't even know what feckless means. I just know that it is a word. So do we have uh, do we have our Star Trek computer up and calculating so that we I have know? It up. Our- I have it up. I don't have it calculating. I gotta. I gotta. F- fired this thing up you know what I'm watching this as we're talking and you know what I never thought of Nurse Chapel as particularly attractive but she's not bad no, not she's bad not bad all. and this Back- works some of the Nurse Chapel Spock subtext too there's always been she's always had the hots for Spock he bagged her I'm sure he did it didn't at happen on point. camera but he did there was some at some far. point before she, she wait- went back she was and- waiting for the next pond far before she went back and got her PhD, uh, he he did. I'm I'm, I'm convinced. The next pond fire, she had that Vulcan soup made right. That was the last thing he did before he went off to the Colonar. Is he is he bagged her and then he said, "Okay, now I got to go purge all this shit." I got to go. Yeah. You know, it's like when you know that you're gonna. I mean, not that I'm Catholic, but you know, 
It's like when you know that you're going to go to confession the next day. So, like, you go on, like, a sex and drug and drinking or, like, a yep. whatever, you know, a binge. A binge. Okay. The computer is up and running. And I'm hitting the big button, and here oh, we go. Yeah. yeah, this goddamn thing's still running. All right. Oh, oh, it's spitting it out. Number 76. 76. 76. That's right toward the end of the series. 76 is... Oh, no. It's the Cloud Minders. <gasps> oh, oh, awesome. The Cloud Minders. The only thing I can remember about this episode Randy is it's the... This one. Yeah, he, he loved this one, and this is the one that has the classic, uh, dig with your bare hands. <laughs> other, other than that, the only... <laughs> I mean, I know that it has the uh, the precursor to uh, to the cloud city of Bespin because it has that cloud. It has like a castle on a cloud or something yeah. like it. Is there's that the two, one? There's two tiers of people: the people that live up in the clouds and the people that mine down on the ground. That's right. All right. Well, that'll be a good one only because I don't I don't remember it worth a crap. So that'll knows, be a as adults we might this might be the most awesome episode ever. Somehow I doubt that, but no, I remember I'll, being one of the. Well, we'll see. Why couldn't you have picked 77? Is I didn't 77? Oh, I know. The computer. But 70, is, Savage Curtain, isn't that the one that starts out with Abraham Lincoln? Oh, I, oh God. I, I love that one. I love that episode. And it's got the burnt cinder turd creature with the, like, three eyes on top of his head. Why was there not a Mego Abraham Lincoln figure? I love... I'm tell, my roommate has a Abraham Lincoln fetish, but only for his head. She collects Lincoln heads. But that's one of my favorites. That one has the guy trying to trick Spock into coming and helping his idol by going, Spock, Spock. help me, Spock. <laughs> Spock, help me, Spock. All right, we need to wrap this one up. Spock, help me, Spock. That I can't wait for that episode just to play that over and over like, Captain Kirk. All right, so next time, join us for uh, whatever else we're talking. We'll have another uh, book review for you. We'll be reviewing the classic episode, The Cloud Minders, and whatever the hell else we'll be talking about Star Trek. Who knows what uh, we'll think of by then. Maybe there'll be some more trailers by then. Yeah, Maybe possibly. We'll get more of a grip on the new Kirk. Ew. Lastly, uh, if you like the show... Please uh, let us know. You know, send us an email. We can be contacted at two true freaks at gmail .com. That's T W O freaks at uh, two. Christ, I can't even talk. T W O true freaks at gmail .com. Um, Come to our forum. Um, even if you just want to lurk and see what everybody's talking about, but uh, we'd appreciate it if you come on. You know, made to comment on there. Review us in iTunes. We only have one review so far. We do appreciate that review. That was from uh, Will of the Avengers Assemble podcast. We appreciate that. We need more reviews. Um, tell a friend about us. Uh, we would appreciate uh, getting other listeners, especially if you like you know, our niche cast like this. You know, where we're talking about uh, Star Trek or Star Wars. You know, tell your Star Trek friends. Tell your Star Wars friends. Let's get the word out there. I know that there are other uh, Star Trek casts, but frankly, I don't hear them talking about classic Trek. I think they're younger and less informed on the subject than we are. So, you know, if you uh, like classic Trek, join us back. Uh, you know, each uh, 
each month at this time, you know, second week of the month, and we'll be talking about Star Trek. Yep, and come come to our Libsyn page at libsyn.twotruefreaks.com, and that will take us take you to our MySpace page, our forum, our YouTube page, everything you want to see. You can see our pretty pictures, our mugs. It's all there. And next time will be our comic episode. We'll be reviewing episode or episode issue two of The Walking Dead by Robert Kirkman, and uh, always fun and featuring some great zombie music. And next, something else about comics. We'll have something—a rant, a rave, a review. We'll have something. Awesome. All right. See you guys later. Thanks for joining us. All right. Jack is learning how to cook. He knows about everything else. I couldn't sleep without you. (laughs) Tonight at six, visit the wackiest roommates around on Three's Company. Someone is dying to meet Jack. Watch the crazy fun on Three's Company. Tonight on Channel 11.